0: Hi, this is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts really could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift to Discerning Hearts. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. Your donation is fully tax-deductible to the extent permitted by law. Click the Donate button on DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue producing the type of spiritual formation programming you have come to expect from us, like those from Archbishop George Lucas, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essof, and so many more. Please prayerfully consider supporting our mission, which is dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Thank you, and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, the Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Dr. Bunsen serves as the Faculty Chair of the Catholic Distance University. He is also a Senior Fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He is the author or co-author of over 45 books, including The Pope Encyclopedia the Encyclopedia of Catholic History, the Encyclopedia of Saints, the Encyclopedia of U.S. Catholic History, and Pope Francis. Dr. Bunsen serves as a senior contributor for EWTN. The Doctors of the Church, the Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Matthew, thank you for joining me.
1: Wonderful as always, Chris.
0: St. Ambrose of Milan, an incredible figure, particularly as a doctor of the Church.
1: Yes, uh, when we think of Ambrose of Milan as as one of the doctors of the Church, uh, our starting point is that he was one of the first of the four doctors of the Church, named all the way back in 1298 by Pope Boniface VIII, uh, along with Gregory the Great, Augustine, and Jerome. So that right at the start, that gives us an idea of the stature of this particular doctor of the Church and father of the Church.
0: What was happening at that particular time, the 1200s, in the life of the Church that Boniface felt it was necessary to call upon the teachings of Ambrose?
1: Well, the, the Church, of course, was uh, being... Beset by great troubles, uh, the the power of the papacy was under attack uh, at that time uh, from great powers, in particular that of France. Boniface VIII, of course, would be uh, seized, brutalized, and would actually die from that whole terrible experience. So he was, in that era, trying to recapture the strength and vitality of the papacy, but also to defend the church against the growing nationalist states, uh, the the growing power of of the kingdoms, again, in particular, France. So appointing and, and naming these four doctors of the church helped, I think, to focus the knowledge of the church on these great figures, but also to derive even more from their wisdom and their teachings and the solidity of the faith.
0: Ambrose, born in the year 340 A.D., Tell us about his, his life and the influences on this great man.
1: We have uh, in Ambrose the, the first great church father uh, to come from a thoroughly Christian family, a family of immense power. It was a very ancient Roman family of the Aurelii, the, the family of Aurelius. And his father was a very prominent figure. Uh, in the the Roman Empire in the West. And that's crucial to understanding Ambrose's early life and also the preparation he had to become uh, the great figure that, that he did. His father, by the name of Aurelius Ambrosius, uh, was what was called the Praetorian Prefect, uh, which is an office in the late Roman Empire. It's sort of like a governor but with much more extensive power. And his authority extended over pretty much the whole of Gaul, which would be modern France, but even beyond what we think of today as modern France. In other words, Aurelius Ambrosius had immense authority and influence over the whole of the Western Empire. We know that Ambrose's mother was uh, a very holy woman. And two of his siblings, uh, Satyrus His brother and Marcellina, his sister, uh, are honored as saints. So we're seeing, as we have with other doctors of the church, this beautiful domestic church that helped to create the the great figure of of Ambrose. As I said, as we have seen with other uh, doctors of the church, the family became this great place of learning of mastering uh, faith, but more importantly, of understanding what it is to serve and uh, to really give yourself completely to Christ. So that was his beginning.
0: Can we just spend a moment on the influence of those women who were the mothers of these great men, these Christian women? It really exemplifies the difference that Christianity had in the lives of women at that time.
1: Yes, I think you've, you've hit on something very important, and that is the, the role of women in the life of Ambrose, but also as we have seen in other episodes of our discussions on the doctrines of the Church, the influence of mothers and sisters uh, on the formation, the development of other doctrines of the Church. I think, uh, for example, of Basil the Great, who was so deeply influenced by Macrina the Elder and Macrina the Younger, And we see here with uh, Ambrose uh, the influence of his mother. And in fact, when his father died, uh, when Ambrose was still very young, his mother um, made certain that he did not in any way slip through the cracks, that he received the education that both she and her late husband knew he needed to have because of his, his genius. Uh, There is a legend that as an an infant, uh, Ambrose suddenly had a swarm of bees land on his face while he was in his cradle, doing no harm to the child. And as the bees flew away, they left a a drop of honey. And this, of course, was interpreted by his father and and by his mother as a, a sign of his potential great eloquence in later years. And of course, he uh, received the nickname of the honey-tongued, as you and I are going to be talking, because of his his eloquence. And of course, he's also now the the patron saint of beekeepers and of bees. But his, his mother took him to all the places where they knew he could receive a great education. So she took him, of course, to Rome where he studied literature, he studied rhetoric, the the ability to speak, and then he studied law. And she also made sure that even though her husband was dead, that the great family of the Aurelii continued to exercise influence in the government and so helped her son launch what was initially considered a brilliant career in the service of the Western emperors.
0: Something that I think would we would find fascinating understanding is that that time now we again we're talking around the mid three hundreds yes. A.D. That even though you may be raised in a Christian family, you may not have received baptism.
1: Yes, that's that's absolutely correct. Uh, there was the custom at the time uh, of delayed baptisms, and there are various reasons for it. We think, for example, of um, Constantine the Great, who uh, was apparently uh, not baptized until his very deathbed. Many figures put off baptism until a later time, in part because the the catechumenate was very lengthy, but also because they delayed going in uh, until they were really prepared to embrace what was the very serious demand of being a Christian. And this, I think, was one of the factors in Ambrose's decision uh, not to be baptized and, and to remain a catechumen for many years.
0: After this great education, he w- was sent to a particular province in 370 with headquarters in Milan. Yes. And there he, he had a civil life. I mean, a, he worked in civil organizations, correct?
1: Yes, he was. Now, think about something, though. He, he was born around 340. And around 370, 372, he was named by the emperor in the west to the post of prefect or governor of Mm -hmm. a region, and that was Liguria and Emilia, which is what would now be northern Italy, with his headquarters in the great city of Mediolanum, which is, of course, today Milan. Now, by the time of his appointment in, in 370, uh, he was only around, what, 30 years old. So we have a sense of his genius that this is somebody who, even though he was only 30, was so gifted and so markedly uh, set upon a path for greatness in the Roman Empire that he was given like this first post uh, for two reasons. One, in order to give him experience— Uh, as a governor, and then move him up uh, to the very high offices that were available to talented leaders and and governors in the Western Roman Empire. But also, uh, because of the reputation he had already acquired uh, for goodness, for moderation, for diplomacy. And that's why he was sent in part to Liguria and Emilia uh, in Milan, because Milan at the time was bitterly divided uh, religiously over the Arian heresy. But let's not also underestimate the importance of Milan. Mediolanum, by that point, in many ways had eclipsed the city of Rome as the chief city in Italy, but also uh, one of the most important cities in the whole of the Roman Empire in the West. So as governor, positioned in Milan, uh, Ambrose, like his father, uh, began to command great respect and also political influence.
0: What would happen to the, that region and, in particular, to Ambrose that would uh, call for his entrance into church life?
1: Yeah, uh, there was a, uh, an interesting moment when um, a man with the name of Probus first sent him to become the governor of the region of Liguria and Amelia, and he said to him, I, you know, I send you as a governor, but being aware of the, the troubles that were going on in Milan, uh, Probus said to him, I want you though to act like a bishop.
0: Hmm.
1: It was a, a prophetic statement. He was, uh, Ambrose, was serving in Milan uh, in 374 when the bishop of Milan, who happened at the time to be an Arian, in other words, a, a supporter of the Arian heresy uh, that questioned the divinity of Christ and that had not just uh, managed to survive its condemnation at the Council of Nicaea in 325, but through the political support of so many different emperors, especially in the West and the East, uh, had gained new strength in the Roman Empire. And even in the West, uh, the Arians managed to get themselves appointed uh, through political influence uh, to many different dioceses, and Milan was no exception. So the Bishop of Milan died in 374 uh, by the name of Auxentius. And there was a great tumult, massive upheaval in the city between the Aryan heretics and Orthodox faithful Christians. And Ambrose recognized that uh, the election of the successor was probably going to turn very violent, because he already experienced the fact that the Aryan heretics could be very violent people. And so he decided to go himself to supervise the election and in order to try to keep everyone peaceful, and that whatever the transition was going to be, uh, that it be a safe one. To his surprise, uh, because no side could really agree on a candidate of their own that would be acceptable to the other, all of them recognized that there was one person that they could all respect. The Orthodox Christians knew that Ambrose was faithful. He did not have an enormous amount of theological experience, but he was a a faithful Christian. Whereas the Arians weren't certain what his sympathies were, but they understood him to be a man of honor and thought that they might be able to win him to their cause. And so, uh, to Ambrose's surprise and, and, frankly, his horror, the crowd... At this election, began chanting Ambrose Bishop, and it soon encompassed the entire gathering. So it seemed that the entire city of Milan was chanting Ambrose Bishop. He responded um, with, uh, uh, in a surprising fashion, he ran for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he went into hiding, and. Obdurately refused to become bishop. The The problem was that the appointment was accepted by the emperor of the West, Emperor Gratian, who sent a letter telling Ambrose that uh, he had accepted his appointment as bishop and uh, that he must present himself. And so, with threats of the emperor upon any who might give shelter to Ambrose, Ambrose surrendered himself, and was baptized, and ordained, and then consecrated the Bishop of Milan. Despite the fact, and despite his efforts to point out the fact, that he had not yet been baptized at the time of his election, and he had what he considered to be absolutely no training in theology. And so he, as we have seen with so many other figures in history, underwent a transformation with that ordination and with that consecration and, of course, with his baptism and embarked upon a new life as a dedicated Christian, but especially as a dedicated bishop.
0: We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming. Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John S. of Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcasts dedicated to those on the spiritual journey.
2: and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
1: Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these videos, prayers, and more, go to DiscerningHearts.com and click the donate link found there, or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks, and God bless.
0: We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Now, one thing that we should kind of maybe visit briefly on Matthew is his election as a bishop. Yeah. It, and how bishops are uh, seated today throughout the world it's not as remote or as different no. than that time the way that we do it today we think the pope appoints and he does but there is a, a process and a vetting and a and a, and a rather extensive type of issuance of that particular seat.
1: Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, In in fact, uh, the uh, Pope today appoints a bishop from a list that is prepared with the consultation of the papal nuncio in in a given country, who himself is canvassing uh, the archbishops and bishops uh, from not just the province where a see might be vacant, uh, but across the whole country looking for uh, priests who could be promising candidates. So the the list that goes to Rome, which is called Eterna, usually has three names, uh, three candidates, that are then vetted very thoroughly. So it's not uh, uh, really, as, as you point out, too far removed from basically what happened uh, to Ambrose. The difference is that the, the Christian community in the 4th century, much as it was in the, in the centuries before it, was small enough that you could still have, basically, the, the clergy and, and many of the faithful uh, participating in the direct selection of a bishop, which today, of course, is simply not possible. And, and so there's, there's the difference. But as, as you point out, uh, the, the basic system has not changed.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, Matthew. It- even today when the nuncio canvasses you know say a particular conference of bishops on who they feel might be a good candidate there is also the various letters are sent out to different lay faithful who are leaders in the area asking you know their thoughts on the particular see i mean there's a lot that is really prayerfully considered in those selections
1: oh yes yes in fact when a name emerges when different names uh, are proposed or put forward the bishops of a province the archbishop's of the country in many cases especially for very large and important sees are consulted there are questionnaires that are sent out to priests who might know him uh, to others who uh, are worth hearing from as to the potential worthiness of a candidate or for example if for a major see like Chicago or New York uh, great care is taken in those appointments and the most prominent leaders of the church in any given country, religious leaders, you know, the, the other archbishops, other cardinals, are themselves very often consulted because you're looking for exactly the right person to pick. And, and that's really what happened here. The people, the, the leaders of the church in Milan saw in Ambrose all of the traits that they needed in a bishop. They were willing to take the the, the leap because they knew him. I mean, this is a man they've been working with for a long time. They knew the quality of the man. And so it was not as far-fetched as it might sound with the distance of uh, 1,700 years or so that a decision like that might be taken. It was, I, I think, very much an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we certainly can't argue with the results.
0: How did he come, as it were, up to speed yeah. in his theological training?
1: Yeah, well, he uh, he began... Uh, In the best way, and that was to embrace the Christian life. He gave away uh, most of his money to the poor. He gave Mm -hmm. away almost all of his land. And what he left behind in in terms of any money or properties or anything, uh, he set aside simply to make certain that uh, his sister, Marcellina would be cared for. And of course, she later actually entered the religious life. And to make certain that the other members of his family would not be forgotten. Then uh, he began relentlessly studying the faith. And he already had uh, a brilliant education, as we've seen. So he was already ahead of the game because he spoke Greek. He knew Latin, of course. He was already familiar with the classics, which provided him intellectually with the wherewithal to move so rapidly uh, through the teachings of the church. And I think he absorbed uh, the the truths of the faith like a sponge. And he was able to turn as well to some of the great authors of his era uh, who wrote in the Greek, Philo, Origen. We can also make note again of Basil the Great, Basil of Caesarea, And, of course, Athanasius, uh, who was himself this towering figure, especially in uh, the Eastern Church, uh, for his opposition to Arianism. Ambrose also uh, focused very heavily on the Old Testament and was able to see in that uh, the logical progression of salvation history. And he began writing as well uh, to... Some of the other figures, like Basil. And he began to bring to bear uh, his superb expertise as a homilist, his training in rhetoric. And you can probably chart very quickly how smooth the transition was uh, from being a secular leader to being head of the, the Christian community in Milan in his preaching. And it must have been exciting to follow his homilies. I mean, we know that the churches were packed, and we can talk a little bit more about that.
0: St. Ambrose introduced the, to the West the practice of Lectio Divina. Yes. And that it probably was because of his prayerful listening to the Word of God, as he, as he studied it, as he pondered, that really gave, bore forth that fruit of those, his incredible sermons and his homilies.
1: Yes, uh, I, I think that's absolutely true. The absorption of uh, the Old Testament in particular, uh, the ability to comprehend the flow of salvation history and then to apply it to the lives of those whom he served as bishop, I think was crucial, uh, not just to his personal development, but also to the strengthening of the whole of the Christian community in in Milan. And and as Pope Benedict himself, the 16th himself, noted, uh, his application of the Old Testament to the Christian life, uh, as as Pope Benedict quotes, he says, every day when we were reading about the lives of the patriarchs and the maxims of the Proverbs, we addressed morality. And in that sense, then, Uh, this this new Bishop of Milan, that he was able to to tell his catechumens, as as again Pope Benedict quotes, so that formed and instructed by them you may become accustomed to taking the paths of the fathers and to following the, the route of obedience to the divine precepts. So in other words, he's already implementing in his teachings, but also in shaping future generations. Uh, the skills of the Lexio Divina, the, the embrace of Scripture the, for the betterment of the soul, but also for leading a Christian life. And Augustine, and we're going to talk more about Augustine, I know, in part two. Mm-hmm. But Augustine came to Milan in part because he had heard about the genius and the oratory of Ambrose. But what captured Augustine wasn't the oratorical flair of Ambrose, which any gifted rhetor, as they would say, any gifted homilist or orator could bring to bear. It was how Ambrose lived his life so that what he preached was simply a reflection of that. And that's a a crucial distinction to make uh, when we talk about the life of Ambrose.
0: It's all about integrity, isn't it? You are what you appear to be.
1: Yes, yes. And Ambrose very quickly then, in settling in and grasping the truths of the faith, recognized the great dangers. Now, I, I He was not a fan of a supporter of the Arian heresy prior to his baptism, ordination, and, and ord- consecration or ordination as a bishop. Mm-hmm. But he also recognized immediately, once he was bishop, that this, he was in charge of the Christian community. He had to defend it against the lies and the heresies of the era. And that became one of the remarkable struggles uh, of his time
0: as bishop there. As we conclude at least part One of this discussion on St. Ambrose. And and while looking forward to entering in more fully into his life and his relationship with St. Augustine in our next episode, what would you want to leave with us on this remarkable saint?
1: As we wrap up part one, uh, we've been focusing on his early life and then some of his work as bishop. We're seeing in this doctor of the church his willingness to transform, to put his gifts, all of his mighty gifts, at the service of God. But once he became bishop, he gave everything he had and surrendered himself to the will of God. And we always have to come back that one of the defining characteristics of a doctor of the church, yes, they were profound. Yes, they left a great legacy of teachings for the church but we can never lose sight of the fact that they were also saints. And Ambrose, in his willingness to give everything he had to the church, once it became clear that this was God's will, that was his foundation for everything that followed. And the obedience to God's will is as much a hallmark of this doctrine of the church as his genius.
0: Mm. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, thank you so much.
1: Great to be with you, Chris. I'm looking forward to part two.
0: You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this program along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen.